Um, as you know, brothers and sisters, we were blessed about six months ago to have a new pastoral resident begin with us, uh, John Pope. John is a, an answer to prayer. We've been praying that the Lord would bring someone experienced who could help us plant the first church through, in part, the Grove Church Planning Network. So John and his wife, Amy, are making plans to do that, Lord willing, that this fall. And so before we know it, that will be here. We're praying that the Lord would raise up 10 or 12 people from Church on Mill to go be a part of that work. And then through these other relationships we have with churches around the state that they too would join in. Mesa has long been a hotbed of Mormonism. And while uh, Mormonism uses many of the same words that Christians use, they don't mean the same things at all. It's actually a completely different religion with completely different goals and ends. Wouldn't it be great if in a part of Mesa that has long been marked by lies about Christ, that the truth could be seen and heard. That's what we're praying for, and that's what God has brought John for, and he will be bringing the word to us today. Would you welcome him as he comes? Should be good now, right? You can hear me? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Good morning, Saints uh, Church on Mill. Just so excited to be with you here today. As Pastor Chuck said, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. Um, if you've got the, uh, the little Bible underneath each row there, it's on page 577. So, um, yeah, that's where we'll be today. So, uh, I got Chuck's permission to do this. So, I'm going to have a little shameful plug here at the beginning. Mosaic Church, which is the name of the church that will be starting in Mesa, hopefully this coming fall. Our website launched this morning. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, been a long process working on that, getting all the graphic design and all the content and stuff in, in there. And so, uh, so you can start following us on uh, social media and uh, stuff like that. Check out our website. Um, and uh, th those are little things that you can do to help uh, the church get off the ground. Okay, uh, so just liking and subscribing, uh, as the YouTubers say. Uh, so you can do that stuff that just helps us get momentum and traction and let people know that this is a solid church that uh, people should check out, okay? Um, and I also just wanna say, on behalf of the, the Pope family, just thank you so much for being such a welcoming uh, church for us, a safe haven for us, that church planning is really hard and difficult. Uh, and we've actually been here for a few years and it took us uh, a while for God to bring us here to this specific church, and we have just been so blessed to be here, uh, and that uh, you really, in church planting, it's like birthing. You need a solid parent to look over the church and to make sure that she has her needs and uh, everything that she's going to need to sustain and to keep going, and so we feel like we really have a good parent church and Church on Mill, and so thank you so much, all the saints here and the elders and and the deacons and everybody uh, here. So you've welcomed us well, thank you. All right, uh, so as we approach 1 Timothy 6 here, we're gonna look at verses uh, 11 um, through uh, 16. I didn't do this in the first service and someone reminded me afterwards to say, make sure you do this in the next service. So I'm actually read the text this time. Uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> so, so let's read it and then we'll, we'll kind of get into it a little bit. So. 
Uh, so this is 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about uh, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be glory, or to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So, as you, you can probably hear in some of the language in this text that there, there, there's this, there's these verbs that seem to be driving a lot of what's going on here, right? Uh, and as I was pondering and meditating and wrestling with this text this week, uh, the idea of endurance came up for me. That Paul seems to want Timothy to endure. He wants the saints here at Ephesus to endure. And as I'm thinking about endurance, endurance is not easy, is it? God has called us to endure many things, even right here at the beginning of 2024. Some of those that we can name is that he's called us to endure a bad economy. Maybe for some of you in the room, he's calling you to endure a difficult boss. An annoying roommate <laughs> that you just got to live with. <coughs> Confusing parents. Right? The children in the room, and you say, oh my goodness, why do my parents still think that way or do things that way? And then on their end, ungrateful children, right? Children who just don't seem to get it, and so much more. So those are the circumstances that we're called to endure. But then underneath that, there's also thoughts and feelings that we have that we also have to endure as we're going through those circumstances. Right? Thoughts or feelings of weariness. I'm just tired. Anger. I'm so upset and frustrated. That's the Christian way of saying anger is frustrated. Yeah. So. Apathy. I'm just feeling indifferent. I just don't care. And I'm kind of numb. Uncertainty. I don't know what's coming. Doubt. And all of these things we have to endure. And with all that going on, Paul also wants us, he's got a thing for us to endure, faith. So with all that, we still also have to endure in our faith. And you're like, dang it, Paul. <laughs> all the things I got to endure, all the things I got to like deal with, you're going to add another thing on that I also got to like try to do? Well, I think the apostle Paul, <laughs> yes, that's right. I think the Apostle Paul has some helpful wisdom for us on how to endure in our faith. And, and here's, here's the cool thing. I think if we can endure in our faith, I really believe this, all the other things we will be able to endure. All the other things I listed, if you endure in your faith, you're going to make it through all the other ones. 
So if I had a big idea I want us to, to take home today, it's this. If we're going to endure in our faith, which is the most important one, we need to agonize over and adore our relationship with Christ. If we're going to make it, if we're going to endure in that faith that Paul's calling us to, that he wants Timothy to, to kind of make it and the saints of Ephesus to make it, then we have to agonize over and adore, absolutely treasure our relationship with Christ above anything else. So it's been a while since we've been in 1 Timothy because of the Christmas season and the new year, so I'm just going to kind of do a little recap and update us where are we at, okay? So let's refresh ourselves uh, in the story of 1 Timothy. Paul wrote this letter to a young apprentice named Timothy, hence the name of the book, right? And Timothy has become a, a, a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul. Like, he's mentored him, he's invested in him, he's discipled him, you know. And so he's become a dear child to the Apostle Paul. And Timothy is now out on his own. Like, any good child, he's grown up and he's sent out. Like, my mom's here today, and she's like, yeah, my son, he's, he's out on his own. But if I was still living in her, she might be a little disappointed, right? <laughs> so, like, uh, so, yeah, she's encouraged, you know, he's out, right? And so Timothy's out on his own now, and he's pastoring his own church in Ephesus, a, a church that the Apostle Paul planted, and Timothy's now pastoring that church, but circumstances have come up. They've arisen where things have gotten difficult. Prominent leaders, more than likely elders in the church, have begun teaching false doctrine and are leading people astray. This is leaving the saints confused. Like anytime there's a power struggle, you know, particularly in a church, people are like, I don't know if am I supposed to stay with Timothy because he's kind of like Team Paul. And then you've got like the other elders over here and it, it becomes a little confusing for the saints. And so Paul encourages Timothy to stand up to these false teachers. In a sense, these theological bullies. Even though he's young. And for several chapters, Paul's been talking to Timothy and encouraging Timothy and the saints here at this church that this is what a healthy church should look like that's guarding the good deposit, that's guarding sound doctrine, that's guarding Christ. And some might be tempted to think that this letter's instructions is just for pastors or church leaders because Timothy's a pastor. But this text, among many others in 1 Timothy, make it clear that this letter is for all of God's people, not just the, some kind of spiritual elite. And the last thing that Paul was talking about in our text here in chapter 6 is he's warning He's, he's narrowing down through the specifics of the, the goals of these false teachers, the errors that they have, and the attributes that they have. And Pastor Chuck, the last time he preached, he encouraged us that the way that we fight against these false teachings is by striving toward this Christian contentment, this godly intent, contentment, that this sense of satisfaction that we have, that we've got Christ, that we have God. And this is where Paul picks up today. So verse 11 kind of serves as a fulcrum from that text, talking about the false teachers, kind of like a negative way. And now he's switching toward something positive. So we'll look at three things in these five verses today. 
We're going to look at the agonizing of our faith, the authority of our faith, and the adoring of our faith. The agonizing of our faith, the authority of our faith, and the adoring of our faith. So before we dive into those three ideas, let me pray and ask for God's help as we examine this text. Father, we desperately need you this morning. There are a lot of things that are on our minds. So many things that can distract us. So keep us vigilant for these next few moments to lock in so that we can hear from you. We desperately want to hear from you. We want to be near to you. We want to be killing our sin. We want you to kill sin in us. We just, we just want you. And so as we examine this text, help us to leave here treasuring Christ more. Longing for more of you. May that be what happens to us as we examine your word today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's look at the agonizing of our faith here in verses 11 and part of 12. Paul's language he opens up with in this section describes an enduring faith that I like to call spiritual agony. You see, he uses three words to communicate a a struggle, that there's a sense of urgency and agony he has uh, for for Timothy. He uses the word flee, right? He says, but you, O man of God, flee these things, which is what the false teachers were doing. Stay away from those things. But it's not just stay away, but it's also pursue. So he's saying, don't run that way, run this way. So there's a pursuit. You're fleeing that, but you're also running toward this. Right? It's not enough to just flee these things. You want to be running towards something as well. So he says, pursue, and it gives you six things to pursue there. And then he says in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. So these three verbs that you see here, flee, pursue, fight, all have this sense of agony, struggle, striving, longing for, desiring here in them. You see, dear friends, there is a longing and a desire and a struggle and an agonizing that is holy. It's holy ambition, holy anxiety. But the critical question is, what are we agonizing for? What do we want more of? You know, when you're agonizing for something, you want... I I really want it. I want to get it. (laughs) So what is it? Well, it's not for the things of this world. That's what Paul has told us to flee from, right? Don't don't chase after the things that the false teachers are chasing after. They're chasing after materialism, consumerism, and, and the things of this world. No, he wants us to agonize over heavenly realities. And Paul gives us a great list of these heavenly realities. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a really good list. He says, 
Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Many scholars have noted that these six pursuits are kind of coupled together. That righteousness and godliness go together. Faith and love go together. Steadfastness and gentleness go together. Yet the first two, righteousness and godliness, deal with the personal moral conduct of your faith. The righteousness is striving to live a morally upright life that would be pleasing to God and is a benefit to my neighbor. Godliness is living in a way that God intended for us. God says, I want you to live this way because it's best for your flourishing. He says, yeah, I I want that. I want to live a godly life. Faith deals with the idea of trusting in the promises of God, that God says it and I believe it. And then love is the sacrificial service. It's the word agape. It's this God-like love that we can show consistently to our neighbors. And then steadfast is the staying power. It's the gospel grit is what I like to call it. To persevere during difficult times. And then gentleness, one of my favorites here because it's such a struggle for me, is the patience to deal with difficult people. <laughs> like all the Karens during Christmas season, yeah. Um, needed some gentleness uh, during that time. And the Kevins too, yeah, they're all out there, yeah, so. <laughs> okay, that didn't land well. Okay, um, <laughs> stick to your manuscript, John. Um, okay, that was, uh, that was off of it. Uh, okay, all these things are the things that Paul wants us to fight for to pursue, to agonize over. So just one of these pursuits, like just pursuing righteousness alone would be hard enough, right? Just pursuing gentleness is hard enough. But he wants us to pursue all of them. Not like one or two. He says, pursue these things, right? All of these things. Things. And the longer we read our Bibles, it gets even weightier because there's more things than beyond this list. And what the scholars that I read this week have noted that these words pursue and fight have the language of athletics in them. So Paul has the imagery in his mind of an athlete here. Now, I've, I've preached long enough to know that if I just start going into my jock, you know, illustration stuff here, it's not going to land with everybody, okay? So for the jocks in the room, yeah, I got you covered, but, you know, for the, those of you who are not, I got some other illustrations for you, okay? <laughs> okay. So when it comes to any discipline, all right, anything that you're going to be striving toward, fighting for, struggling for, anything that you're really agonizing over, that you say, I really want that, it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes a sense of urgency and agony to keep going. If you want to be a good mechanic, you have to work at it. It doesn't, talent will only take you so far. If I want to get better at this, I have to put in the work. If you want to be a good musician, like the musicians we see up here, just go ahead and pull some of them aside. What are they going to say? 
Yes, it took work. It didn't just plop in my lap. (laughs) They had a sense of agony of like, I want to get good at that. If you want to be a good athlete, (laughs) it takes work. It takes effort. And for many of the people here who are just coming back for the semester, if you want to be a good student, it takes work. There is a sense of agony that you have to have to keep going to get better at it. And so what Paul understands is this is also true of our faith. Faith doesn't just come naturally to people. It's something we have to pursue. It's something we have to fight for. It's something we have to agonize over. Work at it. You see, I see far too many Christians taking their faith too lightly. That's kind of like a side hustle project. I'll I'll, I'll do it when I get to it. No, this is our priority. If you want to endure all those other things I mentioned at the beginning, this is the main thing. You see, what the reality all across the Bible is that the evidence of genuine faith is that there is a holy agony we should regularly have if we want our faith to endure. That's all across Scripture. So many saints of God had a holy ambition, had a sense of urgency, of agony, of I want to be known by God. I want God. I want to persevere with God. I want to make it to the end. That's evidence that our faith is real. That faith is not easy in anything we really want, that we truly long for, we will agonize over. And so this is the question I've been asking myself in 2024, and I want you to ask with me is, how long has it been since we've truly agonized for more of our faith? Where I can't put my head down and go to sleep at night until I get God. I want more of him. I wake up and be like, God, I, I really want more of you today. That's what our faith has got to be like. That's what Paul wants for us here. That's why he's given us all these pursuits and this to fight for. Now, there's another reality here that kind of is underneath Paul's commands, which is the authority of our faith. Paul used this language at the beginning in chapter 1 of, of, of charge, right? You see in verse 13, it says, I charge you. He's talking to Timothy, I charge you, right? And, and along with any other saint who's pursuing the same things that Timothy is pursuing, the charge comes to all of us. So Paul charges Timothy and all saints who follow the same faith to flee, to pursue, to fight, to take hold. There's all these commands, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And so with any command, any kind of instruction, you have to kind of ask yourself this key question, right? Which is, on what grounds? 
If someone's going to tell me what to do, I'm going to say, what authority do you have to tell me what to do? So there's an, under, there's an authority underneath Paul's charge. Look at, look at this phrase. I mean, this, I, when I stop and slow down, look at this. I mean, it blew my mind. Um, verse 13 says, I charge you. Right? So there's the charge. This is what he's telling them what to do. I'm like, okay, Paul, why are you telling me what to do? In the presence of God. Whoa. He just went from telling you what to do to say, this is God telling you what to do. <laughs> I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. I mean, wow. <laughs> just stepped up his game there. And scholars have noted this phrase, life here, the, the God who gives life to all things is not eternal life. It's not what we're thinking of like, oh, this is like eternal life. No, this is the sustaining power that God gives us to do life, to flourish under his guidance, his wisdom, his leadership, to fight sin, to take hold of our faith. And Paul recognizes Timothy and all Christians who will come after him that they are gonna, if they're going to strive toward this faith, if they're going to make it, they need God. So it's, I'm charging you in the presence of God who has life, who has the energy, who has the power that he can distribute to all of us to, so that we can make it. We need him. We're not going to make it on our own. And the only way our faith will be sustained, the specific faith that Paul is talking about, is if God provides the sustaining power. Now he doesn't just stop there in trying to demonstrate to us to the authority that's behind this charge and all these commands. He gives us a, a, a series of beautiful statements about the gospel and about the attributes of God. Listen as he goes on here, right? He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, he's rehearsing gospel here, made the good confession, right? So the very thing... Timothy did, back in verse 12, made the good fashion of the many says Jesus also did. He did it before Timothy. And that we know his appearing will come again. He goes down there in verse 14, which God will display at the proper time. He, and then he goes into these, he, he literally starts singing here, right? He goes into all these attributes about God. It says, he who is blessed, only sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, no one's ever seen him or can see him, and to him be, you know, or he, I'm sorry, skipped a part there, that it's all alone, uh, who alone is, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and to him in honor and eternal dominion. See, there's the authority. Right? It's not just the presence of God, but it's the God who has all these attributes. It's the God who, who did this before we did it in Christ. This is the authority that is driving Paul's charge, that's driving Paul's commands to us. So the same God who gave these instructions to the Apostle Paul, who's giving them to Timothy, is also giving them to who? You and me. These commands, these 
encouragements, these admonishments to pursue and to fight and to flee and take hold are coming from God. Imagine a fellow coworker comes to you and tells you to do something, or a classmate comes and says, hey, you got to do this assignment. Now, if you're anything like me, and you probably are much holier than I am, I'm like, who are you to tell me what to do? Throw it back off. Why are you telling me to do that assignment? What if I don't want to do it? What if I got my own assignment I want to do? Right? There's a sense where it's like, okay, if you're just my peer, who are you to tell me anything? But now, if the coworker says, hey, uh, this actually came from the boss carries a weight, doesn't it? If the classmate says, this assignment actually, it, it came from the teacher, came from the professor. Oh, snap. Uh, sure, yeah, let's get on that. <laughs> you see, authority carries weight with it. It reinforces the agony, the urgency, the fight, the striving, the longing. And Paul is an authority to Timothy, and this church, but he's showing him that there's an authority behind his authority. There's a greater authority. See, Paul is an apostle. An apostle just means messenger. He is a messenger handpicked by Jesus Christ, God and flesh himself. So it is God who is speaking through Paul. So this command this instruction has weight to it. So man or woman of God, are you tempted to see these commands from Paul as optional? Or do you see them as demands, commands from the sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, the one who dwells in unapproachable light and has eternal dominion? that he knows the past, the present, and the future. And we understand that the commands are coming from him. That is a true authority that carries weight. So we've looked at the agonizing of our faith, we've looked at the authority of our faith, and then finally let's look at the adoring of our faith. You see, the longer I, I spent in this text... After all those glorious truths we've already seen, right? Those beautiful truths. There's something even fueling all of it. Yeah, I put, I put this, uh, my, my order a, a little out of order on purpose because I saw this here. That there's something vital to a healthy, Christian, enduring, faithful life. You see, friends, there, there's an aim, there's a goal to our striving. There's a goal to our struggle. There's a goal to our fight. There's a goal to our agonizing. And it's found in the verb, in the second part here of verse 12, take hold of the eternal life. Take hold is the, is the verb there. And this, this verb has the idea of a violent grab of something. That the other, the, the, 
Uh, another time where this word is used, it's, it's used when, when Peter's out walking on the water with Jesus and the storm is there and he starts seeing the storm and he's, he starts sinking. Jesus takes hold and grabs him out of the water. He snatches him. It is a violent seize of something. And so, what does Paul want us to grab onto? Well, it says it right there. Take hold of the eternal life. Now, we can be tempted to think eternal life is just living beyond the grave, right? Oh, I get to live forever. My sin will end and my suffering will end and I'll, I'll just be in eternal bliss. Those are certainly true, but it's not the goal. It's not what eternal life really means. See, Jesus tells us what this eternal life is in John 17 in his high priestly prayer when he's agonizing and praying over his saints, his disciples to endure in their faith. This is what he prays for them in his final hour. Look with me in John 17, verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, there's the authority, to give eternal life to all whom you have given, and here it is. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they know him. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the goal of eternal life. That's what we're to take hold of, is taking hold of eternal life is saying, I want God. I'll go after it with all I got. The only way our faith will survive, the only way we'll make it, the only way we will endure is if we strive with everything we have to know God more richly. To know him more deeply, to know him more intimately. And say, I say, I won't go to bed unless I get him. I won't go out on my, my day unless he goes with me. It's the, the, the prayer Moses says, I'm not going into the promised land. We're not going into the promised land unless you go with us. The aim of the Christian life, the aim of human existence, the purpose for human existence is worship. To adore glorify God, to gaze upon his beauty forever. You see, friends, the, the, the knowledge of the faith is not just knowing facts about God. It's knowing God. Pharisees knew facts about God, and they hated Jesus and killed him. That's how dangerous just knowing facts can be. It's realizing deep down in your soul, in your gut, in your bones, what Jesus says in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, I'm not going to make it without 
you, Jesus. Unless you're in me, unless you keep me, I'm not going to make it. See, what we adore, what we admire, what we're aiming for, what we worship is what keeps us going. It was what helps us to endure. And Paul wants Timothy and us to take hold, to adore the one that he breaks into song about at the end here. Like Paul, he's given this instruction and he, he's so wrapped up in it. He's like, I gotta sing. <laughs> he starts adoring God, right? He's given all these instructions, pursue, flee, fight, take hold of, I charge you. And then in verse 15, he says, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one's ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He starts singing. I mean, I don't like musicals, but this is a musical. He just broke out in a song. <laughs> he can't help it. He's thinking about the instructions. He's thinking about making it to the end. And Paul does make it, right? He's thinking about the end of his life in 2 Timothy. He says, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. He sees his incoming. And what does he know he's going to get in the end? What he was aiming for. I'm going to get to see God now. I'm going to get to be with him. If there's a promotion, a car, a financial goal, a relationship you really, really want. You'll strive for it. You'll fight for it. You'll struggle for it. You'll stay up late into the night agonizing over it. You will take hold of it. You'll grab it with everything you got and go after it. Why? Because you adore it. You find it attractive. You find it compelling. You find it beautiful. I think my wife is gorgeous. From the day I saw her. Sitting right over there. <laughs> I can't, it's hard for me to not even just keep looking at her. And I'll go after it. <laughs> we'll fight with everything we have when we adore it. Is that how we feel about God? That's what Paul wants for us. So dear friends, the reason we flee, the reason we fight, the reason we pursue, the reason we take hold, the reason Paul charges us is he wants us to have Christ. We pursue all these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, you know, steadfast gentleness, because he wants us to have Christ. Paul wants us to make it to him. He wanted the same for Timothy. He wants it the same for us. He wants the same for himself. And don't forget, 
This is, this is, this is good. Who's Paul writing for? God. So who wants you to make it to him? God himself wants you to make it. So as we close, let's remember this. When things get hard, when that sin I just keep fighting won't go away, when God feels further away than he's ever felt, remember, Jesus did all this for us before we ever did. He agonized over you at the cross. He fought for you. He pursues you. He fled all the false trappings, false teachings perfectly, <laughs> without sin. He took hold of eternal death so that we can take hold of eternal life. Our faith will endure when we remember Jesus agonizes over us. And I pray that we will forever adore him for it. Praise him for it. Never get over it. <laughs> Be grateful. And when life is dark and it's hard to fight, trust, trust the promise that Jesus fought for you and that he's still fighting for you. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to Slow down right now. Some of us are tempted right now to be thinking about where we're going to go to lunch, who we're going to talk to after service, what time the, the next football game comes on. So much can consume our minds of all these worldly pursuits. May we not forget this is your day. This is the Lord's day. And this is a time to reflect and enjoy you. And so let's not skip just basking in the beauty, in the glory, the majesty of God. But before we go, I pray that we would sing like the Apostle Paul. That we would just break out. That we would truly adore you. And then I pray that we would fight, that we would strive, that we would struggle, that we would agonize over wanting more of you this week, this hour, this month, this year. 
so that we can endure and make it to the end. Help us. Apart from you, we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.